0: This is what we need to exercise, using our imagination, using our attention, our ability to focus, uh, because the sort of people in power, the big tech, uh, they they want to drive us to stare at these awful things and constantly be online. But we can choose not to look at those things. We can choose to go out into nature, uh, experience beauty. Uh, they can't make us look. They can't make us stare. Consciousness, the notion of the self, personality structure, transactional analysis, symbiosis, Zen Buddhism, teacher-student, relationship, training yourself in how to think.
1: To subvert is to undermine the existing system of inscribed power and authority.
0: What's happening in the digital space? The virtual
1: world. Much of us live in a hyper-stimulated present where language itself has become the info currency in the sequence of corporate capitalism. The injunction of the virtual world is... The gatekeepers of our speech and written word are global tech monopolies.
0: We cannot transcend or go beyond our lack through craving. What are we going to do? How are we going to live our life? The subversive therapist is about what the virtual world is doing to us and what we can do about it.
1: In this episode, Andrew speaks to the relationship of big tech, burnout, and joylessness. The isolation of the individual within digital environments of competition, permanent desire, and consumption is joyless. The user is disembodied, meaning just their head, and therefore they are joyless in their physical solitude. Joy, as opposed to desire, requires full-bodied companionship with other relational bodies.
0: The solution is really simple. You have to get your attention back. Uh, Johan Hari has a book called Stolen Focus. That's exactly what uh, these tech, this tech industry is doing, is stealing our attentional faculties. It's constant um, wanting. And that, the, that message is conveyed through the culture, uh, specifically you know, vir- because everything's moved digital virtually, is we're stuck in this state of, of permanent desire You know, now we have algorithms that give us choices. Do you want this or that? You liked this video, so maybe you'll like this one. And so it's constant, oh, I want that. I want that. And so you keep getting what you want, but it's not satisfying. Uh, If I go on YouTube at night because I'm bored, when I get off of YouTube, I'm just as bored. I don't feel, like, refreshed and good and, and excited. It's right back to the boredom. So it really just suspends... Uh, this this boredom and you can't experience joy because joy is really based on companionship you have another person there that you experience joy this is all desire uh, state of permanent desire and this idea of joylessness um, comes from Claude Steiner's book "Scripts People Live and that will be in the references uh, split off from our body, we're just our head and it Manifest in acts of dislike, hate, resentment. Think of the kind of the cancel culture we live in. Uh, you can watch videos about people being humiliated or, or harmed all day long on social media. So again, if, if we're thinking about burnout and life-work balance, getting off uh, the social media as best you can, um, even just deleting the apps on your phone so you can still log in. To fa- Facebook on a computer or something, but you're not, you know, uh, waiting for the bus or in your car checking constantly on your phone, it gives you an opportunity to uh, reflect and to connect with what is happening in your body. For example, I have a client that's scripted in this joylessness. Both their parents were alcoholics, drunk every night, like not just having a few, passed out, really sloppy, drunk. And so this person, surprise, surprise, uh, drinks every night, smokes a pack or so cigarettes a day. And when they came in, they said they just wanted to go cold turkey. They just want to quit um, you know, smoking, drinking. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's something you could do. Uh, but what if just to start, you kind of pay attention to how much you're using. And then I invited him to just, when he's smoking a cigarette, just notice what happens. And so he comes in the next week And says, you know, I I just smoked a cigarette and and just paid attention. And it, like, hurts. It hurts my lungs. Uh, It's painful. But because we live in our head, and a lot of these drugs allow us to live in our head and dissociate from the body, they were unaware of how painful it was. So So then he's getting his own sensory information is that, oh, it actually doesn't feel good. Um, so the person's been able to cut down and kind of, you know, go back and forth. Uh, but the, the all or nothing uh, doesn't, doesn't allow them to actually notice what they're doing uh, to their body. So Steiner talks a lot about um, getting into your center. Uh, if, you, if you think about little kids, they walk around kind of with their bellies protruded as toddlers. It's like they're using their belly button as an antenna to figure out what's going on in their environment, to get a sense of emotions, uh, what people are doing, um, and we can actually think from that intuitive uh, part of of the body if we can get out of our head. And we'll talk about that. Think about this social media industry, big tech. Uh, the title is obviously meant to be kind of a joke, but when I was a kid, you know, it was becoming uh, clear that absolutely clear that c- cigarettes were, you know, cancer-causing, uh, not good for you in large uh, quantities, but the tobacco industry tried to hide that um, information from the public for many, many decades when they knew that it was harmful. Most Silicon Valley executives don't let their kids have smartphones they don't let them on the tablet they know and i think most of us at this point know we're kind of overdosing on the tech stuff uh, but we're like in the 1930s and 40s everybody's sitting around smoking like it's all fine we're all on our tablets and phones um constantly uh, you know should there be should we be allowed to grow tobacco and if you want to smoke you can smoke yeah i i think i think so you know, different, uh, communities use tobacco and kind of ritualistic or religious ceremonial things. So I'm not saying that this should be banned and we should get rid of it, but you have to realize that if you're constantly putting hate and, uh, that cancel culture, you know, but all that competition of the online stuff into your body, that's, that's what you become. And it's looking like we're becoming more and more polarized. And I think it's directly related to the media that we're consuming because it's such large volumes of uh, media as we really become that essentially persona that we are online. You know, I have this podcast called The Subversive Therapist and it's a persona I've created. Uh, It's not really who I am, but it's meant to share this information, you know, online. So you can think about it that way. Steiner's very explicit He says uh, this is how you create um, a kind of booming economy is if everyone is split off from their body, then they have to buy things and consume things in order to feel good, feel joy. So the country's economy is dependent on us really being basically unhappy uh, because then we're just consumers uh, buying things. Okay, so uh, some of you probably know uh, of Johan Hari, who I mentioned before. He's talked a lot about um, studies on substance use. He wrote a whole book uh, about about that, um, his own experience and experiences with others. And he references these older studies on uh, substance use. And what they would do is they would put a rat in a cage and there'd be a little water bottle with, you know, some kind of illicit drug like cocaine or heroin or something, you know, small amounts in the water. And if you just have a rat in a cage by itself, nothing to do. And you can probably hear the parallel with the virtual stuff. If you're just sitting in a room by yourself, what are you going to do is you're going to hit that water dropper. So the rat will keep drinking it. And stop eating, and just basically destroy themselves with the drug. Um, but now the updated version of that um, of that kind of study is: if you take the same rat and you put it in an environment where there's other rats, you know they can copulate, they can roll around, they can play. There's a little wheel they can run on. There's little balls and stuff. In that environment, if you have the little cocaine dropper, they'll still sample the drug. But they will not uh, you know kill themselves, become addicted to the drug because they have other options in their environment. so, they, so we can't divorce our own um, you know kind of addictive habits from the larger culture. If you look at it by stepping back, the environment, uh, the material realities of, of where we're living have a lot to do with why people are so unhappy, miserable, addicted to drugs, um, I don't know the rates across the world, but I think in the United States, especially with psychotropic drugs like Prozac and, and antipsychotic drugs, it's much higher um, in our country. So the the point here, and this is from um, Philip's book, the, Re- the Recovery of the True Self, which I might speak about um, in the future, is desire, you know, that craving for that you know little water dropper or for us you know connection with people uh in contrast desire can supplement modify replace or substitute in a symbolic way for that need to be connected in relationship with people Uh, and it's a it's a blessing and a curse that we want for ourselves if we want to live in a better world if we want to improve our community That's what he calls a higher goal. If we just want to get stuff for ourselves, you know, that's more kind of narcissistic. So in that sense, it's a curse when it allows the human animal to convert repetitive desire, you know, scrolling, 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 smoking, drugs, whatever it is, into habituated craving and then into fixed um, addiction. So it can basically go in one or two ways. And I think the difference is if you have, um, a relational body to connect with, um, that's going to make, um, the difference between the two. So what his, his solution is, is that we need spontaneity, meaning, you know, we probably most of us have calendars, Google calendars and different things that tell us what we're going to do, what comes up, um, next. And so, all of our experience is pretty well um, structured if you have employment and you have things to do. And, and if this is the automatic thing we go to and it tells us what's interesting and what to do, we're not doing things spontaneously, meaning, oh, you know, let's, I'm going to go and do something new. I'm going to go. Last night I went for a walk by the, the river where I work. I hadn't planned it or anything. Uh, but you, again, the emphasis is you need another person, a, a companion to celebrate. That's how we experience joy, is actually being in the same space. Again, think of that that rat cage. If They're either isolated or they have all this fun stuff to do and other rats to play with uh, is the difference there. Okay, so just to nail this down, uh, the Burnout Society, everything that's real is being replaced and brought to... Um, the virtual world. Now the big push is with artificial, um, intelligence. It's been around for a while, but now they have these specific AI systems. Um, and what it's doing is less and less people are in contact, um, physically, you know, uh, think of Facebook. They could design an app, uh, in about five minutes where, you know, a bunch of people in recovery, for example, all are living around this certain area in the Twin Cities and so you could be on this app and, and it could orient you towards uh, meeting at a park or the mall or something like that. They will never do that despite their language of community and sharing and all this other BS. They won't do that because they want you in the virtual world on the digital network. Uh, so this is happening more and more and it seems to be accelerating. Uh, this comes from... Franco Berardi, our our brains just cannot handle how fast the technology um, is going. And especially when you think of AI, think about deep fakes or different things that are being produced by these computer systems is it's getting more and more confusing in terms of what's real and what's not real, especially with the news. But uh, as machines just start to pump out stories about what's going on, we won't be able to tell probably can't right now if that's a human person writing it or uh an artificial intelligence kind of um system writing it so it's going to become more and more confusing uh and even though everything in the culture is saying get all your information and manage your life in this way um i think it's going to cause more burnout more stress so again the emphasis if you can divorce yourself as much as possible uh from this that's the that's um in your best interest. Franco Berardi has a book called heroes. And in that book, um, he talks about how disaffected people are in Japan. They have this, uh, syndrome called Hikikomori. And this is where I think it's predominantly males, but both, um, kind of young people, they shut themselves away. They avoid any, um, social contact and they basically live in their bedroom, uh, in the virtual world, you know, gaming, et cetera. They don't leave the house. This goes on for more than, uh, six months. And, and oftentimes they're living with their parents. And, and what Barardi says is, you know, uh, people don't realize Japanese culture is incredibly competitive. Uh, and so they can't keep up with the demands of the society. So they retreat inward, literally, uh, and stay in their bedroom. I have, uh, a client I'm working with right now where we talked about Hikikomori. They're not Japanese. They live uh, in this area. But basically for the last um, almost decade, they've been living in their bedroom uh, amongst trash and things and in their, their parents' home. And they just live uh, basically online almost uh, 24 hours a day between sleeping. Uh, so it's a very passive way, but it's a way to kind of escape the competition of of the culture. So, again, this is the central point in terms of this joylessness, uh, the burnout, because obviously I understand that economically some people have to work multiple jobs, um, but this goes beyond that uh, because the message is I can't have fun and relax until all the work is done. The work never Uh, gets done, so the person never plays. There's always more things to do, and so you stay in really that analytical, you stay in um, the judgmental part of uh, your personality structure, and if you don't play, you're not accessing those feelings, uh, that different kind of energy in your body, uh, and eventually um, you collapse. Uh, You become incapacitated. Uh, it's, It's not surprising that so many of my clients have panic attacks because with the panic attacks so often when they're incapacitated somebody rushes over to help them without them actually asking for help so they it it's like an automated way of getting help versus explicitly saying I need help will you help me with something okay so you know much of what I'm talking about is kind of the awfulness of uh, the culture I think I'm being fairly objective about it. Uh, but one one more thing to point out, because I talked last time about games people play. Ain't It Awful is a game or it's a pastime where people basically sit around and go back and forth about how awful uh, something is. How awful is police violence or racism or the climate crisis, uh, inflation, uh, the government, uh, kids these days, uh, the next generation, the older generation, so... As you're online in the future or, or listening to interviews, you know, I, I like podcasts at times. Um, it, it seems like almost all of the communication is people going back and forth about how awful things are. Conspiracy theories, um, illegal activities by people or, you know, just the, the kind of murder mysteries I'm sure, you know, you've grown up with is... Just complaining uh, and seeing how unjust people are operating, but not getting to any solutions, not getting to a real intimate place. It's just uh, complaining, complaining, complaining. And if this is a game for for people, they're trying to get sympathy from someone. Uh, But the difference with that and saying, you know, I'm feeling scared, uh, you know, active rather than passive, If I say to someone, I'm feeling scared, then that other person can give you reassurance. That's different than uh, playing a game. So, you know, it goes without saying, misery loves company. Uh, That's what this is about. So, again, if you're spending a lot of time online, social media, you don't just have the, like, kind of filtered, perfect reality of Instagram that people talk about and how young girls are, you know have more depression and eating disorder self-harm because of that most of the news the media is how awful things are and don't get me wrong there's war there's famine uh there always has been uh but it's to keep us sort of aroused and angry uh with angry people click uh that kind of thing so what i'm saying in addition to companionship connection uh, interpersonally is is the the one thing we have that that nobody no entity can take is our ability to focus I've mentioned on here before when I was a kid even into my 20s late 20s I could not read books I could not focus now I compulsively read I have multiple books I'm reading all the time and it's not because I'm special or smart It's because I've just trained myself through meditation and reading uh, to be able to hold that that focus of course there's times where I'm stressed or I can't really focus didn't get enough sleep the night before and it's difficult Uh, but this is what we need to exercise is um, using our imagination uh, using our attention our ability to focus uh, because the sort of people in power, the big tech, uh, they they want to drive us to stare at these awful things and constantly be online. But we can choose not to look at those things. We can choose to go out into nature, uh, experience beauty. Uh, they can't make us look. They can't make us stare. So Philip says, if I am to remain healthy, uh, I must make that choice to um, To bring my attention to kind of goodness, beauty, uh, growth. This is kind of a synopsis of things that Phillips uh, says about autonomy and what uh, Eric Burns says about, you know, kind of what is mental health or being healthy, our capacity for awareness, for spontaneity, uh, for intimacy. This is really, uh, I think, the way to combat um, burnout. I'm very busy, uh, engaged in a lot of different kind of networks and professional things, but I don't feel burnt out in the slightest. I'm, of course, in a privileged um, position. Uh, I'm aware of that. But remember that we're all connected. We're all interdependent. We're not alone, despite that's what the culture um, is saying. And so we have to have a balance of being really dependent on other people when you feel scared you tell somebody you're scared and let them parent you in a sense and, and tell you what to do reassure you of course you also have to be independent and in, in most of therapy and and treatment like you're getting uh i think is to look at well how are you conditioned as a little kid and to start to become more of a director of your life um so you can make changes